everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the Founded and Grounded podcast. Each episode we speak to a different entrepreneur and we hear about their business journey, the ups, the downs, the roundabouts and how they got to where they are today. And we try and share with you their real world experience and wisdom that will help you on your own business journey, whether you're just simply intrigued and want to hear a cracking yarn from the world of business. I'm Andrew Parsonage. A very warm welcome to you wherever you're listening to us. Welcome to episode 11 now in our current run. Now, I couldn't sail this ship alone. I need a business startup expert alongside me to make sense of it all. And so at this point, I'd like to bring in Mr. Ollie Collard. Good afternoon, Ollie. Hey, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm all good. You're sounding loud and proud there from the other side of the video connection. <laughs> I am indeed. I'm actually standing up today. I thought I'd uh, try and mix it up a little bit. Absolutely. Keep it real, Ollie. It's fantastic. Yeah, everything going okay? Yeah, all is well, thank you. Definitely can't complain. Life is life is on the up, I feel. So, um, yeah. Okay, so here we go. Another podcast. We continue and let's crack on then, Ollie. Please now, could you reveal the identity of this week's mystery entrepreneur? I can indeed, Andrew. So I caught up with Mark, who is founder of Sponsor, which is a marketplace connecting right holders with sponsors. Great. Thanks for that, Ollie. Now, we've covered a lot of areas of the economy and different business sectors to date. I think this is the first time, Ollie, that we've covered the world of sport, though, isn't it? It is indeed, Andrew. And, you know, we're both sport lovers, so I'm surprised that it's our first guest that we're, we're covering on sport. Well, we live in a city of sport, Ollie. We've got some big teams here in Bristol, although not all of them are doing not all of them are doing that well, but that's a that's a whole different podcast that. But the theme for this podcast fits entirely with that whole sporting thing. And this is very much about turning a passion into a business, isn't it, Ollie? Most definitely, Andrew. And I think that's what Mark has done incredibly well. And hopefully other people can listen to this episode and take away some key points to really figure out how they can do that for themselves. Now, it might feel like a, a very obvious place to have a business proposition. I mean, there's a lot of money sloshing around in sports and in particular football. Are you surprised maybe, do, should there be more entrepreneurs in this space? Is this a common area for entrepreneurs to, to go into, Ollie, from what you've seen? It's surprising we don't have more people going into the world of sport for their business because lots of people are very passionate about it. But I think sometimes it's a bit complicated in how to get started in the industry if you don't have any contacts. So I think that's the crossroads that people find themselves in when looking to start a business going into the world of sport. Well, Ollie, that's the perfect cue for the first part of our conversation with Mark. And if you're a regular listener, you'll know that we always begin by just finding out some of the backstory behind how a business came to be. And here Mark explains how Sponsor came to being and where the origins of his idea lay. Sponsor, in short, we are in the process of creating and building a marketplace that enables rights holders. So when I talk about rights holders, I mean football clubs, rugby clubs, tennis clubs, cricket clubs to advertise and promote their sponsorship and partnership opportunities. Ultimately, it's providing rights holders with an additional route to market to then create a connection between brands, small businesses, large businesses that can just have more awareness about what is available to reach their own target audience. I guess that the problem that we're fixing is the transparency of what is actually available, but also surfacing the incredible amount of audience data that rights holders have access to. Sponsorship can occasionally be overlooked as part of a marketing strategy. So we're keen to try and um, bridge the gap between brands and businesses that see sponsorship as a way of hitting their target audience. 
how did you come up with the concept? Yeah, good question. Uh, it, it was actually um, in my previous in, employment. Uh, a friend of mine who was actually in my team at the time, he played semi-professional football and he came in one day and said, oh, I'm, I'm really gutted our main sponsors pulled the plug, so I'm not going to get paid as a semi-pro footballer. So with that, I, I said to him, look, leave it with me. Let me see if I can make a few calls, etc." And I managed to get a sponsorship agreement done. But during the process, I realized that there was inefficiencies in the process and there was a lot that I could improve. But I also realized that in terms of the process of trying to work out what was actually available, it took me so much time in terms of looking at different clubs and then trying to think about what brands would be suitable for, you know, that type of club. So, yeah, from there, I, I pen and paper started jotting down a few ideas and then it, it kind of just spiraled from there and I, I gathered momentum. Awesome. I love it. So it came about quite naturally then. You were solving a problem for a friend and it actually transitioned into a business. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I do pinch myself, you know, with the situation that I'm in right now. And, and I, I remember it so vividly, that first conversation around, let me just pick up the phone and have a chat. And I remember the way I felt once I'd got that first very small sponsorship deal done. From there, I thought I'd always wanted to find a route into sport and into football in particular. You know, it's where I'm passionate. So, you know, I quickly realized that I could be onto something here that would be work, but it'd also be something that I'm incredibly passionate about as well. So, Mark, it, it sounds like you're obviously very passionate about football and sport in general and talking about customer experience and a customer journey and a, obviously quite process driven. Yeah. But going back to that first initial conversation with your friend, once you got a positive outcome for him, talk to me around the emotions behind that when that all came together. <laughs> I probably shouldn't admit this, but it was quite a, a, an emotional thing to go through because I'd realised that because I was incredibly passionate about trying to find a way into football, you know, people who know me well enough know that I've always wanted to um, make my way into the world of sport and football in particular. But when I realised that I could see myself doing something full time in an industry that I, I actually really love and I'm passionate about, getting that first deal done was pretty incredible. But off the back of that, then brainstorming and researching and, you know, sitting up to two, three in the morning and trying to set me alarm for 5 a.m. to get some stuff done before, you know, the day job started. Yeah, I was quickly identifying that on scale, I, I could really do something good with this. But I, I obviously knew the challenge that I was up against from a, a time point of view. And I knew that I'd have to be patient to make this happen. And how did you go from, you had some validation there in terms of doing that first deal, but how did you go from that first deal to giving up your day job and going into the business full time? Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I've got goosebumps on my arm thinking about the process again. What then happened is that um, that happened around February, March time, and then we went into lockdown. So I then spent, I invested pretty much six months of my life. I paid someone on five or a hundred quid to um, provide me with what in essence was a job board website which I could then go in and have a play about within WordPress. I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea, but this is where the long hours came in in terms of trying to figure it out. So I didn't have a fully functional website, but I had kind of the infrastructure in terms of how I wanted something to look and feel. So with that, I then realized, okay, if I can create a marketplace and I can enable rights holders to advertise and be transparent about their assets, back it up with audience data, I can link it through to their website so I can drive traffic. Once I'd got that concept built, I then approached a couple of local teams in and around the Northwest. They invited me in to go and talk to them. And, and as I say, the response that I got off the first conversation 
it was actually really, really positive. What then happened is that I realized that I could get busy quite quickly with this. And then I managed to get a sponsorship deal done for a sleeve sponsorship, a back of shirt sponsorship and a perimeter board. So that that was then giving me an opportunity to monetize this as a platform and start to think about, okay, if I can do this based on doing this outside of my day job, imagine what it'd be like full time. And then I had a one or two other football clubs that then got wind of the website because I started marketing a little bit through LinkedIn. I'm really sorry to my previous employer that I'm going to admit this, but I had to set up a separate LinkedIn account just to keep it off the radar from everybody. But I I didn't want to have any form of crossover to the day job. I wanted to keep it completely separate. But as I say, the momentum that then gathered with people connecting with me and wanting to know a little bit more and complementing the, the design and the style, I just got to a point where I thought I either stay in what is a fantastic job that I had in my previous job. I had a brilliant career, spent seven years of my life there, was part of the leadership team within a sales and service capacity or live with the regret of knowing that I had a chance and and passing up on that chance. So I just, I worked out financials. I worked out what my plan would be for, you know, minimum 12 months so that I knew that I wouldn't put too much pressure on a small family. And then, yeah, just bit the bullet and went for it. And I've not looked back since. If we begin by just recapping what Mark's proposition is, he described it right there at the beginning, but can you just maybe in a sentence or two, just sum it up for listeners, what Sponsor actually does? Sure. So essentially, it's a marketplace. So it's bringing together right holders with businesses. And Ollie, just so we're totally clear, what are or how do we define right holders? So in very simple terms, Andrew, a rights holder is normally a legal entity, like, say, a football club, as an example, or it could be a person. And they've got exclusive rights to protected copyright, whether that be a trademark, a patent, a registered design. So essentially, it's somebody who owns intellectual property. Thank you very much indeed for that. So let's just go back to Mark then. We said at the outset of this episode that it's all about taking a passion and turning it into a business idea. And for Mark, it starts in very ordinary circumstances you know is helping a mate out and if you look at say sponsorship in football it's been around for donkey's years you know we always think about the perimeter advertising or a local company on the back of a shirt or front of a shirt or wherever but it feels like mark's now taking us to a different place and maybe in keeping with the times i think he is and i think he's making it more accessible for businesses to access sponsorship opportunities to increase their brand reach and awareness But I think he's being quite clever about it and trying to connect new audiences and looking at trends like whether it's women's football that's obviously growing year upon year. So I think he's actually taking quite a strategic approach about it and obviously utilising his existing skill set. And certainly at the moment, I mean, sport's something that in a way we've leaned on more heavily during the last year, during lockdown, as if like men's professional football and women's professional football has restarted. And it's probably the thing that's kept a lot of us going, actually, a lot of us engaged. So in a, in a way, it's kept that particular marketplace in, in the spotlight. Yeah, I mean, it's got a global audience, particularly when people are stuck at home. They want to be able to engage with sports still. And I think that's very important. Let's just talk about Mark's personal circumstances here and the moment in which he decided to commit to this, because he had a really difficult decision to make here. As he was saying himself, he was in a a good job. You know, he was happy in the job he was in. You know, he wasn't sure about whether his idea, as much as he got a buzz from the idea, how it would actually work out full time and whether it could sustain him. And obviously a young family as well. It's always a bit of a killer when you're looking to go into business for yourself. You've got a family to to carry with you, particularly if your partner isn't working or isn't bringing in as, as much income. So a real tough decision here. 
it was a serious stick or twist moment, wasn't it, Ollie? I think it was a bit of a risk, obviously, and a, and a gamble. But I think that Mark saw the real potential in it. And, you know, he'd only done this one deal for a friend. But I think this really opened his eyes to the possibility of what this business could become. And I think he was actually quietly confident about the future of it. But still, it's a massive risk to take with obviously being responsible for a young family. So hats off to him. Because often you hear about footballers who've made it and it's like living the dream that they're being paid lots of money to play or do something they love. And it sounds here like Mark's almost replicated that from a entrepreneurial point of view. And that is a holy grail in business, isn't it? You know, to, to be doing something you love and to be paid for it. I mean, that's, that's what we all aspire to, isn't it? Definitely. I th- essentially, I think if you're looking to start a business, there's kind of three key areas that you need to look into. A, you've got to be passionate about it, which Mark clearly was. There's got to be a key problem you're actually solving, and that's obviously quite fundamental. But also you've got to be able to get paid for it. So people have to have the ability to pay for your product or service. As an example, if you're very passionate about it and you're solving a problem, but no one's going to pay you, then it's going to be unrewarding. If you're solving a big problem and you're getting paid for it, but you're not passionate about it, then it's probably going to be unfulfilling. And then lastly, if you're passionate about it and you're getting paid for it, but you're not solving a problem, then you're probably questioning the ethics of the actual business. Mm, Absolutely. Well, Mark touched upon the challenges of available time and the patience to stick at it, which I guess takes us quite neatly into the second part of the conversation with him, which is about challenges. We always ask our entrepreneurs for their real world experience uh, because we know that starting a business as much as you're doing the thing you love it's a bit of a bumpy ride and so here's what mark had to say what his particular challenges were and i'm sure what you're about to hear will be familiar to many of you the the, the biggest challenge and i'm sure every single person who's ever decided to set up a business chase a dream and chase what they're passionate about I had an expectation about it, but I completely underestimated the fact that I would then become the marketing team, the sales team, the service team, the HR team, the the legal team, the admin team, pretty much every single job that I do at the moment. I would probably say 85% of my time is spent on doing tasks that are not my strengths. <laughs> and that's been the biggest challenge to overcome. I guess the other thing, it's a challenge, but when you're doing something that you really love doing it, it doesn't it's not a, a huge thing, but it's the number of hours that you then find putting in the, the amount of times it was up till two, three a.m. in the morning, and then you know I'd, I'd try and set my alarm to do an hour before my three and a half year old then woke up and then dominated my morning. You know they are the, the biggest challenges, but yeah, you know for me the the way I've tried to overcome the things that I'm not good at is prioritizing is probably not one of my strengths, or it hasn't been in the past. Even though I would I would know what my big rocks were. You know, in terms of the the devil in the detail of prioritization, I now make that part of my routine. So I know what I have to do at what point. Even then, you don't get around to doing everything right. It's, you know, because there's so much to be done. Um, But yeah, certainly the biggest challenge is just underestimating how much you've got to do to make make yourself look that you're professional, but also operate at a level that, you know, enables you to manage expectations of the people that you're working with. Indeed, Mark. And that's a challenge for many sole founders is, you know, wearing of so many different hats and, you know, not not being an expert in a lot of areas. But it sounds like you're pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone 
learning new skills, obviously working quite a few hours around the clock, but hopefully they'll become a tipping point where you can outsource or take on staff to do some of those other roles. 100%. Focus on, on your strengths. Yeah, absolutely. Who do you lean on for support? To be honest, for the most part, my wife. I, I, I do feel sometimes she she's probably not even listening. I'm just letting off some steam about what my day's looking like. But she she is, you know, someone that I can bounce ideas back into. I'm probably fortunate from that perspective. I certainly in the first couple of months, I had one or two contacts that, you know, were, were getting involved to a degree and, and supporting and helping out. And it was really great, you know, going back into with them about ideas, thoughts in terms of, you know, what good would look like. It might sound a bit cliche and everything else, Ollie, but I do hold myself to account. You know, I don't try and put too much on anybody else and will deal with as much as I can myself. And the only reason for that, it's not because I'm trying to, you know, give a view that, you know, I can handle everything and, and everything else. It's, it's, it's hard work. But I also feel that by holding myself to account with the things that I'm not that great at, it's forcing me to create learned behaviors and it's forcing me to develop myself further as a, as a business owner. You know, I'll talk a little bit more shortly about, you know, where I'm up to today and what it looks like for the future. But certainly from that perspective, I would say to anybody, get a network of maybe two or three people that are, are happy just to listen and maybe give you some guidance. But yeah, the, the more you can make yourself accountable, the more that you'll actually push your own personal development. Definitely, Mark, and completely agree with trying to surround yourself with people that can act as a sounding board, hear your ideas through give you their opinion on them I think that's that's definitely invaluable yeah. um, and I like what you said there about the the kind of personal development journey as well because I think that's not something that's looked at so much in terms of entrepreneurship and startups you know even if the business does succeed or even if the business doesn't succeed over the next five years the amount of personal development and learning and journey that you've been on is going to be invaluable absolutely absolutely I couldn't recommend it enough with what I've gone through, my process has been, because I've gone into pretty much a new industry, you know, I've spent the last seven years in automotive, not in sport. So I've had to, uh, I felt like a, a kid in a new school ground with, with no friends. And the only way that you make friends is by learning how to interact with different people and then, you know, growing from there. So that might be a rubbish example, but I, I do know from day one, that's how it felt. And that, that personal growth and development has, um, you know, certainly helped me along my journey. Right, Ollie. So it's a classic scenario. You've started your own business and you're having to wear a lot of hats. So you think, you know, you'd be living the dream of doing what you love full time. But Mark interestingly put a, a figure on it and he said 85% of his time was, or maybe still is, spent on what he called non core tasks or things that weren't his personal strengths. This is typical, Ollie, from your experience for entrepreneurs, in the, certainly in the early days. I think it is. And I think people don't really understand or appreciate that until they actually start their business. Obviously, in terms of hats, you're doing your legal stuff, you're doing your marketing, you're doing your admin, you're doing your website. There's so many different hats that you have to wear. And I would say there isn't one founder who I've spoken to who is going to be good at all of those areas. And I think if you are, you're probably... You're probably in the wrong job, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and I think being a founder, I really encourage people to try and get comfortable with things that they're not comfortable with. So what I mean by that is learning new skills. So if you don't know how to do a marketing strategy, then spend some time learning, reading books, engaging with podcasts, 
signing up to webinars and learning about the topic. But the great thing that you have at your disposal as an entrepreneur is as soon as you've kind of learnt some of the theory, you can put that straight into the practice. And that's how you learn. And Ollie, that brings me on to my next point about personal development. Now, if you have someone who's maybe kicked off your career in-house, so to speak, so you've worked in, in a business, you've been, you've been an employee, and you decide to go in it for yourself as, a, as an entrepreneur or freelance, there's a change when it comes to personal development. So if you're working in-house, personal development is something that is available to you quite freely. There'll probably be a department, such as HR or learning and development, who will basically put this on a plate for you, and all you have to do is sign up, in effect, or it's, it's part of your job and you have to do it. When you're freelance or when you're self-employed or an entrepreneur, or an entrepreneur, whatever capacity, you have to be disciplined enough to do this for yourself and almost to force yourself to make it part of your working week. And this must be, or I can imagine this must be a challenge for entrepreneurs, Ollie, because you're so busy in terms of the do. It's a classic thing about being in the business rather than spending time on the business. And it must be quite hard. It must be a real challenge for entrepreneurs to be able to step out even just for, I don't know, an hour or two every week to apply themselves to some learning or something similar in order to, to be better at what they do. It is tough. And I think looking back on jobs that I've had previously, I think you probably don't appreciate that luxury of having a budget to spend on personal development. But at the same time, I think because you are wearing so many different hats as a startup founder, actually the opportunity to upskill yourself is the best opportunity you'll ever get in your entire life. I really do truly mean that because essentially when you're learning something, if you don't implement the learning, then you're not going to fully understand it and you're going to forget it. Whereas if you go away and learn something and then implement it the next day, then that shows how much you've learned. And then where you go wrong, that's when you course correct yourself and actually go away and maybe do a bit more learning and then implement it again. So I think the opportunity to kind of really make yourself a rounded business person is second to none. But it takes discipline and willpower to do this. I mean, it's easy for us to sit here and talk about it, but to actually go and do it on a regular basis, that takes some real discipline. Yeah, no, I, I do agree with that point, Andrew. I think as a sole founder, particularly if you're running a business, your time is going to be split all over the place. And I think, you know, you're working on your actual delivery of doing whatever your business does. Where do you fit in that time for kind of learning or personal development? I think a key way to do that is think about the, the top three things that you want to improve on over the course of the year, then actively time block some of that time in your calendar over the course of that year to actually ensure that you do learn those things. Otherwise, you know, stuff is always going to come up and you're not going to get the learning done. So my advice would be time block in personal development time and also use apps to measure your time and how you're spending it. So there's apps like Toggle. There's one called Timeula, which basically means that you can allocate time to certain activities. So whether it's working directly with a client or doing some marketing you know how long you're spending on each task. And it's a good place to then review that to ensure that you're spending your time in the right places. Yeah, it's really interesting, Ollie. Everyone says they're busy, everyone's crazy busy. But then when you stop and look at it, well, what are you busy doing? It's really good if, if there's certainly tools out there that can help you just evaluate that because that could be quite life-changing in many ways. Just before we finish on this, we talk a lot about networks on this programme in various contexts. 
And we all say, obviously, the value of a network and the importance of a network, et cetera, et cetera. And networks come in various shapes and sizes and also what people use them for. And here, I thought it was interesting that Mark looks at, the, in his words, it's sort of a small network of people, but people who can basically sound off to, who simply who can listen to him and maybe give him some good counsel, maybe prompt some ideas. And that feels like a, a really good application of a network and how it could be generally useful to someone. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, you don't have to have a massive network. And I think that's what Mark's saying. He's got a close, trusted network of people that he can go to, whether he's looking for actual advice on his strategy or an area of his business, or actually just looking for some emotional support or looking to vent off about a unbelievable day that he's had, then I think he's got those people in and around him. And I think that's going to be invaluable to his progression of his business just finishing off this part of the conversation, Ollie, networks can be a bit of a numbers game in both senses of the word. So you can have a, a following on LinkedIn, for example, which numbers in the hundreds, if not thousands. But then you can have a network which is a much more intimate, close association of people from which you'll have a very different sort of experience and different sort of relationship with. And I mean, there's, there's room for both, Ollie, but it sounds like the latter's definitely worked here for Mark. Yeah, I think having that personal relationships where you can have a decent one-on-one conversation with someone those relationships are invaluable obviously you can tap into other networks that you're part of maybe it's your your local football club or your NCT group that you are a part of obviously there's different networks that you can tap into but I really feel the the close networks is where you get the most benefit and I think during Covid people have realised that actually small networks are actually invaluable and um, to stay connected and keep conversations going with people. Um, I don't know if that's what, something you found personally, Andrew. It's very true, actually, because the, uh, and I'm sure a lot of other people would say the same, and I've heard it said that over the last year, because now we have access to through technology to people like we've never had before, really, it probably has made us reevaluate the relationships that are probably most important or you get the most value from, whether it's from a business perspective or from a social perspective or from a friendship perspective. And maybe those networks have actually diminished in size as you realise the people who probably give you the most back or the most value. I, think, I find it, it's absolutely fascinating when you sort of step back and, and look at it that way. You're listening to Founded and Grounded. Reality, reassurance and inspiration every fortnight for the startup community. So talking about the future of Sponsor... Uh Where do you want the business to be in the next five years? I think what's been really exciting for the, you know, for the first six months of us trading is that I've purposely made momentum my biggest measurable. What I've always had a view that if you put the money problems on your shoulders or if you put the stresses of, you know, some of the tasks that you'll have to work through, it doesn't matter how big or small the task is. As long as each day you are keeping momentum, you're doing something, it's incredible where that can take you. What that means in terms of where we're at now is that I've got a team around me that we're going to be hopefully evolving and building out what we've got today as a platform. But that's based on six months worth of listening to the market, listening to you know where we can add value to rights holders and, and brands and businesses that are thinking about you know different ways of reaching audiences. So fast forward in five years, we are incredibly excited about what we're developing right now in terms of how we can connect a lot of people together a, a, a lot faster the, the five-year plan is you know i could be in a situation where the, the brand of sponsor is in multiple countries 
it probably for anyone listening or seeing our website for the first time, you probably think, what, how's that possible? But the reason why I'm, I'm incredibly driven by achieving that is we're already connecting with rights holders in the States. We've got opportunities throughout Europe now that are just starting to gather momentum. So we feel that we're in a really good place, but it's incredibly important that we remain patient in our own process because it is going to take a little bit of time. But yeah, I think if I can look at this in five years time with the aspirations and ambitions that it'll just be a brand that people know, but they'll also know why they know about sponsor, then it sounds like a dream. But but yeah, that's what I'm, I'm motivated by. And can you tell the listeners a bit more about your two sides of your audiences? So obviously the, the clubs and right holders you're working with, could you maybe talk about some of the biggest brands that you've got involved and also some of the, the small and large businesses that you're working with on the other side of the fence? Yeah, so you, you, you may see from my social media, we recently um, ran a campaign with Benefit Cosmetics. So slightly different one in terms of taking a cosmetic brand into the world of sport and football. But we recognised that, you know, there was an opportunity, certainly for women in sport and um, women in football, which was our our message. You know, we felt that we had an amazing opportunity with Benefit because of the brand and the products to really engage with female audiences so, you know, that was one example of our creative angle to to get um, a really good global brand involved, but then have two fantastic football clubs in Swansea City and Northampton Town support benefit in terms of reaching their target audience. So both sides of the fences, we will ultimately work with any rights holder. However, moving forward, we are ultimately looking to expand beyond sport potentially as well, you know, depending on how things progress. You know, we see the events world. You know, we feel we can we can venture into that. But we're also looking at different things as well. Ultimately, anything that connects a brand to its audience via a rights holder is where we think we can make a difference. And then, yeah, from, you know, an SME point of view, earlier on in our journey, we connected a, a couple of businesses to do sponsorship with Fleetwood Town was one example where we've done a, a perimeter board for a, a construction company. We've been able to test and validate multiple different industries with multiple different rights holders now. And it all leads back to one thing. If you can match two audiences together to create results, it's what any marketing team wants to see, right? So, you know, that's ultimately what we're focused on. Indeed. Great advice there, Mark, as well. Mark, have you got any advice for our listeners about how to better connect with their audiences? The, the one thing that I, I do always encourage anyone to focus on is just know who your target audience is. And the way you can do that as a business owner or as, a, as any organization is by understanding who is making purchases from you, you know, what's the demographic data saying? Do you know what your age group looks like? Are you trying to target 24 to 30 year olds or are you recognizing that your audience is 35 and above and you want to reach the younger audiences? The more you know about the detail within your audience, the easier it is then to connect any business with a rights holder because it then becomes about this is our target audience. This is the target audience that is in front of you that we can align to who you're trying to reach. How do we then come up with some creative content and, and activation so that you can engage with fans or, or followers of a particular rights holder? So that is my advice. You know, there's often a misunderstanding of what sponsorship is, I feel, just from my own opinion. Someone may challenge me on that. But I do, for the most part, feel that, you know, people will see sponsorship as logo placement when actually sponsorship enables anyone to reach across the spectrum of sales, advertising and, and marketing. So or marketing, advertising, sales in that order, start at audience and then the rest will follow. 
Awesome, Mark. And that leads quite nicely onto the next part of the show, which is an opportunity for you to ask our audience a question. Yeah, I guess the question I would ask your audience, Ollie, is that if if anybody was thinking about using sponsorship as part of the marketing strategy, I'd be really keen to have a view of what the barriers or concerns would be as to why somebody wouldn't go and practice sponsorship or, or invest into sponsorship as part of their approach. The things that I would be keen to have a look at is, is it about cost? Is it about measuring return on investment? Is it about or being unsure about the audiences that you can reach? Or is it just a little bit more about what sponsorship actually is and what you can do to create some really brilliant ideas to interact with fans and followers that right holders have access to? Great question, Mark. Love it. And we will get that out to our followers. The last piece of the show, which is one of the most important parts of Founded and Grounded, is asking you one piece of advice that you'd pass on to somebody who is thinking of starting their own business. I guess the, the one piece of advice I would give anybody is if you're in a, in a situation where you're currently in employment and you know, you're looking to try and do something or you're realizing that you've got an idea or you've tested and validated something which you think you can definitely see a future for yourself in, the one thing I would say is that you have to focus on momentum. Unfortunately, it does take time. It's not easy, but I can't tell anybody how rewarding it is knowing that you, you know, you're chasing a passion, you, you're doing something based on your own thoughts and ideas. But my biggest piece of advice, just make momentum your biggest measurable. What I've done you know, in the past is I've had a list. I've put the pressure on trying to do this big list all in one day. To be honest, it's nonsense. As long as you every single day are doing something, whether it's sending one email, whether it's doing one bit of content that will go on a website, whether it's ringing one person to get some market research, whatever it takes for that first probably six months, I'd, I'd recommend just just focus on momentum because it's incredible where that can take you in terms of the people that you you meet, the people that you interact with. It's certainly enabled me to connect with some incredibly, incredibly brilliant people in, in my journey, which is enabling me to now carry on, you know, progressing with sponsor as a brand. Excellent, Mark. Great advice there. And I think, as you say, building that momentum is so critical in order to snowball and really build that audience and that business from the ground up. And lastly, where can people find you? Yep. So you can find us at www.sponsor.co.uk. And that will soon be changed to sponsor.com because of our, our reach due to expand throughout this year. Um, and you can also find us on social media channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And it's simply just at sponsor. Awesome, Mark. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Great to hear about sponsor and your growth and international ambitions for the future. We wish you all the best. Fantastic. Appreciate the time, Ollie. So in every episode, we ask people for one piece of advice, but we've actually got two here from Mark. So let me just start with the first one, which is about, in his words, making momentum the measurable, which we never really heard before on the, on the show. Mark talks about just keeping that momentum going, but also being patient as well. Even if you're just doing one thing a day or one thing a week, that appeared to be the secret to how he's grown his business. Yeah, and I think it's a really good measurable metric that founders should keep an eye on. You could have 10 conversations and the, the first nine could be a no, but then it's the 10th one that could be a yes. So it's about staying consistent and not losing sight of what you want to achieve. 
The other thing he comes back to, a bit of a favourite on this programme, is knowing your audience. Again, once again, knowing your target demographic. Because it's someone who's got passion about sport and about football, he's up, off to a winner here because he probably already understands his audience. So he's got a bit of a foothold here, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, the more in-depth you know your audience, the better you're going to be in terms of your own business because you're going to know what are their pain points, what motivates them, what gets them out of bed in the morning. You're going to know how to negotiate with them. You're going to be able to know how to market to them. You're going to know where to reach them. So the more inside your audience head you can get, the more success you're going to have. The other thing I wanted just to pick up on, and I think where Mark's been quite clever, is that he's not using this as almost like a blunt instrument. He's, he's actually looking at where the opportunities are in the market and we're looking at trends that are happening in the wider world. So we've seen in recent years the growth in participation in and interest in women's football. Mark's noted that and he's looking at the opportunities that are driving that and, and probably finding there's quite some quite lucrative opportunities there to be had, which haven't really been tapped it before to the point where he's actually enlisted the services of two English football league clubs in the process. Yeah, and it's a it's a very good skill to have. I think you've got to have a bit of a data mindset these days. And he's obviously looking at the future of the business and looking where the opportunities are going to lie. So a great way of identifying this is looking at data. Entrepreneurs can use tools like Statista to be able to look at data and provide facts and figures about growth rates of certain industries. So I'd recommend all founders to go out there, do some research and try and connect the dots. Thanks, Ollie. Now, every episode, we ask our entrepreneur for a question to put to you, the listener. This time around, Mark asked people, where relevant, to share with him or through our socials the barriers to not considering sponsorship as part of their marketing approach. It's an interesting question, actually, because sponsorship might feel like a almost like an afterthought, but Mark very much sees it as a core part of a marketing approach or strategy. So what are those barriers? Are they cost, return on investment, maybe a lack of understanding? Please let us know through our socials. So how do you do that? Well, here's Freya Scott in Social Media Corner with all the details of our platforms. You can find us on social media. We'd love to hear from you. On both Instagram and Twitter, we're Founded Grounded. And on Facebook, we're Founded and Grounded. So give us a follow to keep updated. Thank you, Freya. So please do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. And also don't forget, as ever, please do tell your friends about the podcast, so as well as your ideas and thoughts on the programmes. Please do share the love with everyone else and tell them about Founding and Grounded. We'd love to welcome more of you to this community and as part of this conversation. Ollie, that's pretty much us done for this episode. Thank you very much indeed to Mark and proof, if we hear his story, that you can turn your passion into a business. If you can turn your passion into a business, then you're definitely on to a winner. You just have to hear from Mark how passionate he is about his sport and therefore his business. Brilliant stuff. Well, Ollie, thank you very much indeed once again. Another really interesting conversation. Thank you to Mark for his time and we wish him all the best. And you heard there in the interview about how you can get hold of sponsor and where you can find Mark. Hopefully interesting times ahead and good times ahead for him as sport and hopefully the world in general opens up again as the months go by. Ollie, thank you. Thanks again, Andrew. Hopefully we can uh, maybe watch a bit of sport soon and have a beer together. Excellent, Ollie. I'll hold you to that. We're counting down the days for sure. You have been listening to the Founded and Grounded podcast with myself, Andrew Parsonage, featuring the vocal and business talents of Mr. Ollie Collard and Miss Freya Scott. We'll be back with another entrepreneurial expedition in a few weeks' time. But for now, as we always say to you at the end of each podcast, as things continue to be the way they are, then please take care of yourself. 
look out for each other, get in touch, and we look forward to speaking with you again in the near future. For now, though, cheerio.